0: Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 1 taught us about a great man, Joshua, and how we can be great by letting the Word of God into our souls and meditating upon it day and night and not turning to the left hand or the right hand. Joshua 2 taught us about Rahab the harlot, justified by her faith in the God of Israel and the actions of of saving the spies alive and lying to the elders of her city. Joshua chapter 3, the entrance of Israel into the land of Canaan by the Jordan River, the Lord cutting off the waters. Joshua chapter 4, raising up memorials for that great event. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's preparation of the people to take the city of Jericho. They circumcised the whole nation which had neglected that covenant ordinance, of God that had been given to Moses, and Abraham, and they celebrated the Passover. Two two important events they did on the plains of Jericho. The Passover takes a week. On the plains of Jericho, these people went through some peculiar religious rites while the city of Jericho waited their fate. Joshua chapter seven, Achan is discovered. After the failed attempt to take the city of Ai, Joshua chapter 8, the city of Ai is taken, which brings us to chapter 9. In Joshua chapter 9, we have inspired history, but we also have a warning that we must be vigilant in our relationships. And I want to start by just mentioning them so that as we go through it and arrive at verse 14, you'll already be ready. For what we see there, every young man and young woman in this assembly that wants to marry a great spouse, it can be summarized in one sentence. Does that person have an independent fear of God, love of Jesus Christ, and trembles before the word of God? Period. Independent means they do it on their own without you letting them know it's important to you or without you encouraging them to do it. They do it on their own. That's what I mean by the word independent. Fear of God means a desire to please God and a love to reverence Him so that they keep His commandments. A love of Jesus Christ is to see in the Lord Jesus Christ the most beautiful object of the entire Bible and the most important place to put your affection. And then a trembling, a humble trembling before the Word of God that what the Bible says, they want to do. That is what you need to find in a spouse. They can be a little immature because they're going to grow out of immaturity. If we all waited until we were mature to get married, we'd all be single in here today. This would be a collection of the Church of Greenville singles. Because none of us would be married. I look back at the pictures of Sherry and me when we got married, and they're scary. They're downright scary. (laughs) And I wasn't the only one. The the immaturity... I mean, why didn't I just light up a neon sign? Child groom they're gonna grow out of immaturity the Lord willing they will grow out of immaturity if that sentence is in place a lot of deceiving goes on in dating because you're trying to win someone and everyone by dating I just simply mean the courtship process of finding someone to marry in that process that we call dating, call courting, whatever you want to call it. In that process, you must be vigilant or you will be deceived because a person will tell you things you want to hear or do things you want to see and you don't want to hear it or see it because they're doing it simply to win you. The independent fear of God, love of Jesus Christ and trembling at the Word of God and you've got yourself exposed. Everything else goes in the shade compared to that sentence. Nothing else matters compared to that sentence. The other little things of compatibility, personality, uh, coordination, temperamental uh, tendencies, or things like that are unimportant. They will not make or break your marriage. But if those things are not in place, your marriage will be broken. Our children, we cannot accept what they say to us. We cannot accept them putting on their clothes on Sunday morning and coming in and sitting with us. We must be vigilant parents by examining them more carefully than that. Solomon would say to his son, Give me thine heart. Give me thine heart. And that's what we want to go after with our children. Teaching them a few disciplines, you haven't taught them anything. So what? They'll leave the disciplines as soon as they leave you. And discipline doesn't do anything about pleasing God. Where is their heart? I mean, the little disciplines of getting up, going to church, even reading the Bible, if it's purely a discipline, is not enough. We want their hearts to love the Word of God. The same things we want to see, we want to see an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling before the Word of God. And if that's not there, then we have work to do. And if with all the work we do... And we do it faithfully, and we understand that the Lord has to change hearts. The heart isn't changed, and we leave it in the Lord's hand. But we cannot be negligent. We must be vigilant. We can't listen to what we hear from their lips, and we cannot simply look at what we see them do. We want to go beyond that into their hearts. And in this church relationship we have, our duty is more than just to see who's here. We want hearts. Where is the heart of each other in this assembly? The Lord doesn't care that you're here. The Lord wants to know where your heart is. Our carcass can be almost anywhere. Our carcass can be here with our heart far away. We want to be vigilant about ourselves, and we want to be vigilant about one another. Now let's look at Joshua chapter 9, after the taking of the city of Ai. You'll see how this plays into a very practical lesson we can learn from this chapter as we go through it. It came to pass in verse 1, when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan... I love it. Now they're saying this side, Jordan, and they mean a different side. They have been saying this side, Jordan, and they meant the east side. Now it's this side, Jordan, and it's the west side because they've made it over to the other side as we learned in chapters 3 and 4. It came to pass when all the kings which were on this side, Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. These seven nations in Canaan, when they heard of the taking of Jericho and Ai, and knew that Israel had been given a commission to take the whole land, they gathered together to fight. If you'll flip over to Joshua 11, you'll find out why they wanted to fight. They were as blinded as Pharaoh in their unwillingness to humble themselves and beg for mercy. Have you ever heard of a white flag? Have you ever heard of unconditional surrender? Have you ever heard of crying uncle? Have you ever heard of begging for mercy? Why didn't they? Joshua 11:19. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that He might destroy them utterly, and that they might find no favor, but that He might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord knew that if these people whom He wanted to exterminate would have come to Israel, they would have begged for their lives and begged for mercy, and Israel would have been hard-pressed not to grant them some mercy. And so in order to keep them from obtaining any favor, and their wickedness had risen up to heaven, the stench of it was so great in God's nostrils, He told Abraham and Moses that if you don't exterminate them, the land will vomit them out, because they were committing sins that are now accepted in our nation. The sins of sodomy being a chief sin of the of the inhabitants of Canaan. This is why they came in battle. And they came with one accord. And the one accord was by the Lord unifying their hearts in rebellion instead of wise strategies of seeking peace. But there was one city that came to seek peace. And it was of the Hivites. And it's the city of Gibeon. And we're reading about them now. Verse 3, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work wilily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses, and wine bottles, old and rent, and bound up, and old shoes and clouted upon their feet, and old garments upon them, And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. They tried a different approach. One city tried a very different approach. The rest of the cities were of one accord to go against Israel in battle and the Lord destroyed them. This city is 18 miles from Gilgal. Gibeon is only 18 miles from Gilgal. But they put old clothes on, took old wine bottles, got the moldiest bread they could find, and traveled the 18 miles, and it's downhill, because Gibeon means the city on a hill, and if you look up the city of Gibeon, you'll find it on a hill, and it was an impressive city, They had 18 miles to walk downhill. How long would that take you? About four hours. And so they come pretending they're ambassadors with all this old stuff. And they come to Joshua and the men of Israel, and they say, they lie, they deceived. We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. Joshua should never have entered into a conversation with them. Why even talk to these people? Why not go straight to the Lord? Once you give ground by opening up to have a discussion with someone you know by the actions of their lives or by the Word of God, in this case it's the Word of God, everyone on the other side of the Jordan River was to be exterminated. If they had any question about the matter at all, they should have gone to the Lord and asked His judgment, which they did not, as verse 14 will tell us. And I want to go back right now to those relationships. Don't let someone tell you how much they fear the Lord. You're looking for an independent fear of the Lord. One that they do on their own, and it will be evident in their lives. You want to see an independent love of Christ. I remember a young man, a very good friend of mine. You know him. He's a pastor down the road 90, 90 minutes who traded with me at Michigan National, and how we once had a discussion about a woman that he had been going with for five years. And he was just on the cusp of getting engaged to her and marrying her. She was even seeking to be baptized with the baptism we'd been baptized with. But we discussed the fact that we need to see independent fear of God and love of Christ and trembling at His Word. Right. Not someone reading the Bible because you're putting them up to it. Not someone fearing God because you're and, show, and saying that they fear God because you expect that from them. But an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling before the Word of God. And I'm repeating myself so that you'll have the sentence well in your mind. Anything less than that is not good enough. I remember him ending a five-year relationship, very painful to do, but he was convinced objectively from God's Word that he didn't really have a woman that feared the Lord, and it was that following Sunday, a few days later, that some of you remember we had a visit by a young lady named Melanie Danger. On Monday, he called me and said, I did what we discussed a few days ago, I have broken my relationship with a girl named Linda. And we're not we're talking about thirty year olds. We're talking about two MBAs in the city of Detroit that had all the similar interests, the same cultural background. They were both Italians. They both made their spaghetti sauce from scratch with their grandmothers that came from the old country. They had they they had all this stuff in common. Um and yet he, he ended his relationship with her. And on Monday he called and said he had done it. And I said, Well I just met your wife yesterday. And it's a long story, and I'm not going to go into it right now, but that that woman that came and visited us, for those of you that knew her, you know, she's in heaven right now because she gave him three sons, and then God took her life by cancer. But that woman had an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembled before the Word of God. And she was looking for a husband that would be her spiritual leader on a Sunday, three days after I'd had that conversation. That is not difficult matchmaking. That's falling off a log. And thankfully, I fell off the log. And they were married a few months later. Oh, I want to press this upon you. Let's not engage in conversation about people who say they love the Lord. Let's see the love. Let's see the fear. Let's see the trembling before God's Word. That's who we want to marry. That's who we want to commune with. That's how we want to examine our children. It's not good enough if they just come to church with us. We want to examine their hearts. Give me thine heart, the wise preacher said. Here we have the men of Gibeon coming to deceive the princes of Israel to save their lives. Verse 8, and they said to Joshua... No, no, we we want to go to verse 7. Verse 7. Because verse 7 tells us that Joshua and the princes of Israel knew what was at stake. Look at verse 7. The men of Israel said unto the Hivites... Peradventure ye dwell among us. And how shall we make a league with you? Do you know there's several commandments in Numbers and Deuteronomy? Thou shalt not make a covenant with them. We don't know who you are. You could be living just a little ways away, which they were, 18 miles. You could be living just a little ways away. We've been told to take the whole land. How in the world can we make a league with you? They tell, they tell us by this verse, they knew what was at stake. How did they fall? Because they engaged in conversation. Why even talk? They should have gone straight to the Lord. They didn't have a business even having a discussion with a Canaanite any more than Eve should have had a discussion with the devil in the Garden of Eden. You don't go there. We've got to look for real fruit. We can't just trust words. Words are cheap. Everyone says they're a Christian in America. We've got 302 million people in this nation. And if you were to ask them, 280 million would say that they're Christians. So what? We've got to measure a whole lot better than that. We've got to measure better than that for marriage. We've got to measure better than that with our children. We've got to measure better than that in our own assembly. Where's the fruit? Is there a real love and a zeal shown for God and for Jesus Christ? They knew... But because they engage in the conversation, emotionally, you will be worn down and you will break down. Parents, if Johnny or Tommy motorcycle that your daughter brings home or Susie apple pie that your son brings home, and I don't care what you want to call them, what good things they may have going for them, none of it matters. Except, can I see a fear of God in their life and a love of Christ? And when I say see, I mean see fruits. Not a written letter that says, yes, I fear God. Anybody can write that letter. And for a good spouse, many men would dare to write that letter. You have got to go beyond those words. Why are you even, if it's a whirling, blow them off. Don't waste, don't get too close to them. They're going to deceive you. They're going to deceive you. Then emotion sets in. You've allowed your child now to go another step. Well, now they've talked to daddy and daddy said we can go a little further and you're going to get deeper into trouble. There had better be an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling at the word of God. If you don't have that, why are you trying to create it? Create it without your child being involved. And if we don't have that in our children, we want that in our children. We want an independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling at the Word of God. They engaged in a conversation with them. The introduction was very brief. We become from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. They had a commandment, no covenants. These were Canaanites. They should have gone straight to the Lord. Do you know what Urim and Thummim is? And it's something more than Joseph Smith's spectacles that started the Mormon church. Urim and Thummim were two little decorative devices that the high priest of Israel stuck into his breastplate. And whenever they needed to know the will of God in the matter, they could pull out Urim and Thummim. Go ahead and read about it in the books of Moses. And they could get an answer from the Lord. Now, old Joseph Smith, he came along and he thought he could put on a pair of spectacles and read the hieroglyphics that he had written in his back bedroom that he had stolen from a novel that was sold in New York City 200 years ago and he made up the Book of Mormon. He said he had interpreted the golden plates that he had found in the ground. That's a long story and it's not for today. Just go Google. Joseph Smith, peeper, stone peeper, spectacles, Book of Mormon. You'll have plenty to read. Urim and Thummim. They could have gone to the Lord and known the will of God for what they should do. Because God had given them Urim and Thummim so that they would know His will in any issue that they did not know, have a clear Scripture to help them. But they didn't do that. First exchange was very short. Then when, they, when the men of Gibeon hear that that isn't enough to make a league with these men... These men have a conviction that they shouldn't make a league with anyone in the land of Canaan. They go to the next step to deceive them. I just want you to see the progression of the conversation. If Eve or Adam would have intervened on behalf of Eve and told her, Stop talking to the devil. God's already spoken. This matter is settled. It's over. He would have saved his wife and you and me from death. Of course, God had a purpose in the whole thing. But we see the error there. So they, they say more. Verse 8, they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Unconditional surrender. You know, that is so disarming. We are thy servants. Is that disarm- If If Tommy Motorcycle turns his Harley off in the driveway and comes up to you and says, I be Tommy, may I have thy daughter. And you're saying, I'm supposed to only marry my daughter to a man who fears the Lord. I am your servant. He's bought you 50%. That'd be hard to take. I'm your servant. Do you follow the work? Do you see the danger these men are getting into? Because they're engaging in a conversation with somebody that doesn't qualify. They should have gone to the Lord instead. We can, we've already gone to the Lord. We already know what a spouse has to have. We don't have to go to Urim and Thummim. Does anybody in here need Urim and Thummim? I'm going to speak on behalf of Urim and Thummim. Independent, fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling at the Word of God. Because that's what the Bible says. A woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Favor is deceitful. Anything they do to win a man is deceitful, so it's got to be independent. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? Well, if they're liars, what good do these two questions do? Daddy says, Young man, to Tommy, the Harley is still warm. Do you fear God? Of course I do, sir. Of course he's going to use a sir. Haven't you ever done this before? Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And here starts the story. Oh, uh, you know, a young man who wants a girl can spin a good tale. And a Gibeonite who wants to save his life can spin a good tale. And a child who wants you to leave him alone and not be too vigilant in his life is going to spin you a good tale. And a brother who doesn't really fear God's going to spin you a tale. And it's our job to be vigilant in all those relationships. And you know who we need to be vigilant with as well? Ourselves. We can spin a pretty pretty good tale to ourselves. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. They said unto Him, verse 9, From a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. That sounds good. For we have heard the fame of Him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new. And behold, they be rent. And these our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And so we come to verse 14. But let's look at those verses just for a second. By the way, in verse 5, when it says they had old shoes and clouded upon their feet, clouded is an old English word for patched, mended shoes. Oh, they, they were looking the part. They had shoes that were all patched up because they had come on a very long journey. Do you hear the, the language? Oh, yes, sir. I love the Lord. I've always loved the Lord. I was baptized when I was five years old. Well, what infant sprinkling church was that? Don't get into a conversation. Look for the fruits of righteousness in their lives. They'll be visible for the the kind of spouse we want our children to marry. Notice that when these men are describing their city council that told them to take victuals for their very long journey... That they made this choice based upon what they had heard God do in Egypt and what they had heard God do to the kings on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og. Notice that they do not mention Jericho and Ai, which are the reason they are there. Right. Because if they had come on a very long journey, they wouldn't have known about Jericho and Ai. Just, I thought I'd throw that in. Are you, are you all with me on that? Yeah. They couldn't, they didn't mention Jericho and Ai because it would give them away that they were close at hand because this had just been a couple of days. But they're here because of Jericho and Ai, because they're the next city. That's what it says in verse 3, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai. I mean, it's one thing to know the Israelites are cleaning out the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. It's one thing to hear about the Israelites taking advantage of Egypt on the other side of the Red Sea. But this is a whole new thing to see them marching toward Gibeon by taking out Jericho and Ai. Verse 14, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. The men said, Let's see that bread. Why do you want to look at the bread? You're going to get deceived. You're playing with a liar. Why didn't you go to God first? Let me see your bread. They took the bread and it's all crumbling and moldy. They look at the wine bottles that are rent. They look at their shoes. They're looking. We walk by faith, not by sight. Right. We have got to make our decisions based on the Word of God and not by anything else. In every relationship we have, we've got to measure by fruits. And we measure by faith, not by sight. They, they put their eyes on the bread. They took of their victuals and saw that they were indeed moldy. Well, they were indeed moldy because they had gone to the dump to get their bread before they took the 18-mile trip to Gilgal. And because they looked and were considering things like that, they fell. And we cannot fall that way in our families. We must be vigilant. We must be vigilant for the spouses our children marry. We must be vigilant about our children themselves. We cannot be content that they get up and come to church. We want their souls. Lord, help us to be that way. The men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And so now they're trapped. The Hivites of the city of Gibeon have now been promised in the name of the Lord God of Israel that Israel will not kill them because they didn't take counsel at the mouth of the Lord. We don't hear the mouth of the Lord anymore. We have this. It's better than the mouth of the Lord. Amen. It's far better than the mouth of the Lord. Is there a Bible verse that tells us that? Yeah. That this is better than the mouth of the Lord? We have also a more, more sure word of, word of prophecy. And when Peter told us that in Second Peter chapter 1, he was comparing it to hearing... God's voice from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. 2 Peter 1.16-21 This is more sure than hearing God's voice from heaven in the presence of Moses and Elijah and the Lord Jesus Christ glorified. Right. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed Amen. as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the, Lord Jesus, and the day star arise in your hearts. Right. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture... Scripture is more sure than God's voice from heaven because it's in writing. If you tell me you've heard God's voice from heaven, why in the world should I believe you? Why in the world should I believe that you remembered what He said? Why in the world should I believe you kept His comments in context? I have it all right here in writing. Thank you, Lord, for putting it in writing. Whereunto we do well that we take heed, as unto a light that shineth. Remember Psalm 119 and 105 that I started with a little while ago? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my pathway. This is God's word that we must go to before we make any of these large decisions. And as we care about our children, we want their hearts, not their outward actions. We want their hearts. We cannot change their hearts, but we go after their hearts. We trust the Lord to change their hearts by efforts made toward their hearts. Every input that I have talked about and railed against in this church, the inputs of bad friends, bad movies, and bad music, those inputs steal hearts. They don't steal bodies, they steal hearts. We have to go after those hearts. Better friends, better music. And we teach them to read the Word of God and to pray in a personal way for the profit of their souls. Not just to go through the exercise. And Joshua made peace with them, made a league with them, To let them live because they didn't ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Let us not be like this. Let us always go and get counsel from God. If it's not in the Bible, if there isn't a verse in the Bible that deals with your situation, then what does the Bible tell you to do? In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. There's two words you want there. Multitude and counselors. That doesn't mean your friends. Your friends are generally not your counselors. You younger people. Young people aren't good counselors. They haven't lived yet. So when it says counselors, it means wise men, holy men, sober men, spiritual men, successful men. Those are the men you want to go ask. Now if you've got some pipe dream, they're the last men you want to ask because you know that they're going to laugh at your pipe dream. And it says multitude. Go ask more than one. Do you think two's a multitude? You know, there's answers in the Bible. You can go get sober, sound, godly, wise advice if you'll get outside yourself and go to the Word of God and or wise, holy, spiritual counselors. They can save you from trouble. Verse 16, It came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. Oh, three days later they find out they're 18 miles away. And the children of Israel journeyed and came into their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and Shepharah and Biroth and Kerjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. Three days later, The terrible disaster to marry one of your children to someone that doesn't truly fear the Lord, and three days later, metaphorically speaking, three days later you find out they don't really fear the Lord. Do you know what grief is going to go through your soul? Isaac and Rebekah grieved because Esau had married the Hittite daughters of Heth. It was a grief to them. And that grief is going to come upon all of you unless you have a sound, solid basis for the kind of people your children are going to marry and you tell them that this day and tomorrow and every day of their lives so that they think the same way you think, for the same reasons you think those, way, those ways. It's the only one that will work. You believe that? It's the only way it will work. I can explain it to you in graphic detail because I've talked to plenty of men who married women that didn't fear the Lord with all their hearts. I've seen them cry. I've seen them in great grief and pain. Much anguish. We want to always consult the mouth of the Lord in all of these decisions that we make and not just take of their vittles and listen to their words and look at, oh, he comes from a nice family. Who cares if he has a nice family? As I've said so many times, Jack the Ripper was a nice guy during the daytime. Doesn't matter. We're not marrying nice people. We're marrying people that fear the Lord. There's so many nice people out there. Do you know who that the, the Jews would stir up in the book of Acts to persecute the apostles? The noble and honorable women. You can read it in the book of Acts. The noble and honorable women, the Jews would stir up to persecute the apostles. Nice people doesn't mean a thing. Nice will not help you in a marriage at all. The fear of the Lord will help you in a marriage. Three days they found out that they were neighbors. Now the congregation of Israel was upset that their princes had betrayed them and now they had enemies right in their midst. Verse 19, But all the princes said unto the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us, because of the oath which we swear unto them. And the princes said unto them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation, as the princes had promised them. We we will keep our oath. Our oath is to let them live. so let's let them live, but let's make them bond slaves for the rest of their lives in perpetuity that the Hivites of the city of Gibeon would be slaves forever, to draw wood and to, to draw water and to chop wood for the house of the Lord. You know that altar that burned up so many sacrifices took quite a bit of wood, and there was quite a bit of water used washing after all those sacrifices. They can be the slaves around the tabernacle of the Lord. We will let them live, but we will make them slaves so that we don't break our oath that we have made in the name of the Lord. Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us, saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us? Now therefore ye are cursed. And there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, and here's the real reason why they came. Because it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us, do. Notice, the message that God had given to Moses, that the Canaanites were to be exterminated, had passed over to the Canaanites. They knew about it on the other side of the Jordan River. Those nations knew that God had given Moses a charge to get the people of Israel in there, and if it wasn't Moses, it was going to be Joshua, his successor, and to wipe out all the nations of the of the land of Canaan. They knew that, and that's why they came for their lives. From their standpoint, as pagans wanting to live a few more months, they were very wise. Because, hey, who cares about lying if you're a pagan? So they came to save their lives. But for Joshua and the princes of Israel, they should have consulted the mouth of the Lord first. Verse 26, "...and so did he unto them..." and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even unto this day, in the place which he should choose. The Hivites of the city of Gibeon became slaves forever to the people of God. Now let me tell you just a sideline that you can only read in a few verses. I believe it's Second Samuel 21. It is 2 Samuel 21. Listen to these words. This is approximately 400 years later. 400 years later. Second Samuel 21. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. This is what sets David apart. Do you know how many times that's in the Bible? David inquired of the Lord. Before he would go into battle, he'd inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. There was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. I want you to know about a little event in the history of Israel that's only mentioned very briefly. Saul. Let's let's read it. It'll tell us. And the king called the Gibeonites, this is David, and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement, that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said, We don't want any money. You don't need to pay us off. Just give us some of Saul's sons. And so they found seven sons. They were grandsons of Saul, and they strung them up. And that appeased the Gibeonites, and it appeased the Lord, so that the famine went away. That's the rest of the story here. The point I want to make is two things. The oath oath that the princes of Israel had sworn in the name of the Lord was still just as binding 400 years later. Second thing I want to point out, King Saul was so profane that when he did want to show his zeal for the Lord, he would just grasp at whatever was at hand and what he saw were these Canaanites serving around the tabernacle. And so he slew them. Why didn't he go slay some Philistines? Instead, he slew some of the Gibeonites that were around the tabernacle in his rage and wanting to show his zeal. And the Lord... That was a violation of the oath that the princes of Israel had made and the Lord punished the house of Saul and his family tree is still suffering after Saul is long dead. His grandchildren are being killed for his wickedness. Back in Joshua chapter 9, that's how long that covenant stood with the Gibeonites and they became slaves for the tabernacle of the Lord and as Joshua put it, for the house of my God. You can be slaves for the house of my God because I swore in His name. Therefore, I will let you live, but you will be hewers of wood and drawers of water for the rest of your lives. This is the history. The most important verse in Joshua chapter 9, easily, verse 14, And, and the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Right. We do not want to believe anything or do anything in private, in our families, or as a church, if we don't have the mouth of the Lord supporting us from the Word of God. We want that lesson out of Joshua chapter 9. They should have sought counsel rather than taking of their vittles. We should not engage in conversations about something that is contrary to the Word of God. Because if you put up with a conversation, rationalization will steal your heart from revelation. Revelation, what God reveals, is what we've got to stand by. If you talk too long, rationalization will steal your heart. Do you remember Eve? The devil said, thou shalt not surely die. God doth know that in the day you eat that fruit thereof, you're going to be as God's. And then she looked at the fruit, and all of a sudden, his suggestion with her sight of what that tree looked, it looked like it was good for food. It looked like that it might be a tree that could make one wise. The Bible tells us exactly what she reasoned through. She rationalized instead of trusting the revelation of God. The revelation of God was very simple: Thou shalt surely die. These men had a, had a statement made to them: Thou shalt make no covenant with the inhabitants of Canaan. And here they were considered that that was the first request. These men of Gibeah made, they should have known right off the bat they were dealing with something that was contrary to the Word of God. And all of that is to say to us, if you engage in discussions with someone that doesn't show the fruit of righteousness in their lives, and I'm I'm in particular talking about marrying our children, you are playing with with fire to burn your family. We must see the evidence. And we don't mean to see a note. And we don't want to just hear words. We want to see changed lives. We want to follow the Word of God where it says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. That is the standard we want to stick with when it comes to marrying our children. Independent fear of God, love of Christ, and trembling before His Word. With our children, we must be vigilant and go after their souls. We cannot be content that they're coming to church with us. Their their carcass could be here warming a little section of foam rubber while their heart is far away. Because many, the Apostle Paul said, mind earthly things, and their hearts are not in the house of God, nor with the people of God, nor with God Himself. The Bible says they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have "...continued with us, but they went out from us that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us." That's a long verse, but it's a wonderful verse. We want to be vigilant about our hearts, our children's hearts, our children's spouses' hearts, and every brother and sister in this assembly. May God help us to always be inquiring at the mouth of the Lord through His Word and making our decisions based on it only, and not engaging in rationalization or discussions where you can be led astray like these princes of Israel were led astray, even though in verse 7 they full well knew the risk they were facing in talking to these men. May the Lord give us the courage, the conviction to be vigilant as a church and as fathers, as husbands in our homes with our children in whom they marry.